Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. You've come along on a good Sunday. Turn to the person next to you and be like, it's a good Sunday. It's a good Sunday. One more said, the beach sucks. The beach sucks. Turn to someone. Beach. Okay, no? Okay. You all want to be at the beach. We are blessed today to have some different people bring us around the Word of God. Um, if you don't know, um, our senior pastors, Pastor Brian and Charlie, are currently on sabbatical. They will be back again with us shortly. Uh, we love making sure that our pastors are rested. Um, we don't think we work them into the ground. We don't call them every day of the week and try and fry them as much as we can. We like to look after those that are helping us and helping shepherd us. So they are currently in the slums of Italy, um, living it up there. Um, so be praying for them and little baby bear. Um, but we have an amazing amount of people in our church that can preach, that can give, that can contribute. And this morning we're blessed to have three different people. I want to talk about the three of them and then I'll introduce the first one to get up. Um, uh, Benny Green is going to be sharing in a moment. Ben is our youth pastor. I've known Ben since roughly year six, maybe. I paid no attention to him before that. We went to the same school, but uh, no, no attention at all. He um, was my assistant youth pastor for a big, long season. He was in my Connect group for a long time. Ben's heart for not just um, young people, but the things of God is encouraging and inspiring. He's been a standout in his generation um, since puberty. Um, he's done an amazing job, which was 18. He was 18 when that happened. Um, but he has a heart for God. He has a heart for business and career and innovation. We're very blessed to have him come this morning, so make sure you're hungry, lean in, be awesome. Kathy Thorpe, Mother Kathy, is going to be sharing in a few moments. Um, Kathy has a deep love for God, and she has a deep love for hugging people, uh, and they're both equal. No, 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 they're not equal. She loves Jesus more, um, but she just has such an empathy, just a, a compassion and a love for people um, that that is not just motherly, but is kingdom. It is just heaven. So if you don't know Kathy, take some time to get to know her. She's a woman of God. She's been through seasons. Her story is amazing. Make sure we might hear some of that today, um, but lean in, be blessed by that. And I'll use the correct title, Reverend Dr. Norell, um, a doctorate of divinity. She is the most qualified. Her competition is diplomas in ministry, so she's winning um, against us. Um, but Norell and Jean and Joel and Danielle um, are a blessing to our church. They joined just on the cusp of COVID. I think they snuck into a new people's lunch and then went into lockdown. Um, but they've been a blessing to our church in addition to our church when they moved into our area. And I'm excited. If you haven't read her um, her PhD thesis, make sure you do that. Yahweh Wilderness. If you haven't read it, shame on you. Um, no, shame. I'm just handing out shame this morning, aren't I? That's great. There's not enough shame in the church. No, okay, that's not true either. Well, I'm setting these guys up for a great win. Um, why don't we put our hands together and welcome up Benny Green as he brings us around the word. Good morning, everyone. I just want to say what an honor and a privilege it is for all of us to be here, but especially for me to be handed a microphone to say anything on this platform is such an honor and a privilege, and I want to give that honor where it is due, firstly to God, um, thank you God, but also to our amazing leaders, Pastor Benar and Charlie, I would not be who I am today, the family that I have would not be who we are today if it wasn't for their leadership, their discipleship, and to Pastor Joel and Alex who are owning our church right now, looking 
looking after it, making sure we're going forward and we're being all we're called to be. I just want to say thank you. Um, yeah, our topic this morning, what we've each been given, at least what I think we've all been given, maybe we've been given opposing topics, like I'm going to say like God is love and someone's going to, oh no, but our topic this morning is this is my family. And there's so much you can talk about. The Bible's full of family references. The whole, like, Old Testament is following a story of one family. Like, you can go through so much stuff. But my heart this morning is to talk to us like we're all youth. My name's Ben, if I didn't say that already. I look after our youth ministry. And my heart for our youth ministry is the same for our whole city. That we all are flourishing, that we're as close to God as possible, that you guys invite your friends, you invite your school friends if you've still got them around, uh, you invite these people to come and have a relationship with Jesus. So let's be a bit young today, let's go have some fun, I've got some things to say, but we're talking about this is our family and we're talking about my message this morning is called Room at the Table. And I just want to start off by saying that God's, over the last couple of weeks, uh, probably, yeah, the last couple of weeks, God's been challenging me on this thing called cheap Christianity. Not simple Christianity, not basic, but cheap Christianity. The things that we do as Christians that don't actually have substance. I've had so many meetings with my friends that have walked away from church recently, from other people, and they still have a walk with God. They still have these things, but they need a real God. Our city needs a real God, not a cheap God, not just nice slogans, not just a nice community group, that as Christians, we need to have a real walk with God and not a cheap. So this whole message comes out of that thought of we need to not be cheap Christians. We don't need another community group. There's plenty of groups doing so many amazing things for our community. We don't need that. We need a group of people who are sold out and have fallen in love with Jesus. And let me just pray first and then we'll get into it. So God, I just thank you for today and I just pray that you stir our hearts, that you prepare our hearts, that no matter what we've walked in this morning with, Lord, that we are just so ready for an encounter with you, that for every single person preaching this morning, Lord, we learn something, we um, learn a new revelation about you, Jesus, and we just fall more in love with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. And so talking about tables, the room at the table is what I'm talking about, but we've heard so many messages about tables over the last couple of years. Pastor and I started the table series with, who remembers that sermon before COVID started, and it was a table that filled up this, uh, the whole stage, and it was full of food. It was the service he wanted to be in because he was calling people out, inviting them up, and just while he was preaching, they got to eat the food that was on there, and then we did get to eat it out later on, um, but that was an amazing service service. I think that was the most expensive sermon illustration we've ever seen. The girls cooked. Jade uh, did such an amazing job cooking all that food as well and all the other helpers. But that was such a good start to the table series. And more recently, there was a table over here and Pastor and I talked about the table that covers. Talking about the story of King David and uh, his best friend, totally didn't even think, Mephibosheth, that's the name. Him, he was a disabled boy. He had um, his body from down from his hips down wasn't working but when he got brought to King David's table it covered his disability it covered his shame the very thing that the world looked at as an issue the table covered it and so my message this morning is all about that there's room at our table 
And I've been thinking about lots of different tables, thinking about dinner tables, thinking about all these different tables. But the, 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 the big thing is, is like when you go to a wedding, like a more normalized wedding, I've been to a lot of weddings recently that these haven't been there. But like my wedding, I didn't have different tables. We're going to have pallets on the ground and everyone's just going to sit on the ground. Like anyway, um, but at a, a more normal wedding, you would go there and you would have your bridal table. You would have like your close family. Then you have like the people that your parents invited that you didn't want there, but you have to put there because they're your parents' friends. And then down the very back, deepest, darkest corner is the kids' table. Who has ever sat on a kids' table at a wedding? Yeah, it is actually a really fun table. I would probably want to sit there more than other tables. But the kids' table. But my thought this morning is that our church isn't meant to be the bridal table. It isn't meant to be the close family. It's not meant to be the more spiritual table and the kids' table down the back. Our church is meant to actually be like the dinner table. And the dinner table, you sit next to your kids. You sit next to, at my dinner table, we got Florence, who you put her in a baby seat, and then she stands up, nearly falls out every time, and then she wants to sit between you and then, like, take food from your plate. Like, she wants to walk around. She walks on top of the table at different points. Like, we've all had experiences at the dinner table. It's a wild place. <laughs> it is a wild place. And that's what church is meant to be like. It's meant to be this family moment. It's not meant to be this clean, prestigious, like I, I remember growing up going to my friend's house and you weren't allowed to put your elbows on the table and you had to put this part on your arm on the table and then your arm would get really sore. You're like, what am I meant to do here? Like, so you just spend, the, serve, you spend the, like, the dinner juggling and you're like sitting there awkwardly, like am I allowed to say anything? Do I have to be, kids are better, quiet, uh, seen, not heard? Like, that's not what church is meant to be like. It's meant to be like the dinner table. It's meant to be like a family moment that we're meant to come together. There's not meant to be the more spiritual, less spiritual, the old and the young table. Yes, we have the kids down the back, but that's so they can have a catered moment where they can learn more about God. But after the service, are we at a dinner table? Are we separated or are we united? And one of my favorite um, thoughts that we talk about youth a lot and a, like so much. I, I always bring our leaders at our prayer meeting before we start our service is this thought, is that our youth program, our youth connects are like we're setting up a table for our youth kids to have a moment with Jesus. It's like everything we do, the games, you might think that youth ministry is crazy and we have games just to entertain kids. Yes, we want to have as much fun as possible. But that game is there to draw kids in that might not understand everything else going on, but they will find a place of fun. They will find a place of love. They'll find a place. Every part of our service is designed to put you in a moment where you can have a moment face to face with Jesus. And that's the same with us. Our service right now, everything we do is to have this moment where maybe you need Jesus more today than you've ever needed him before. And there's a moment in every part of our service where you can have a moment with Jesus. Our verse for today that I'm bringing us around as well is one of my favorite verses that I always bring our youth around because I just think it's the, the most basic thing that we can follow as Christians. Uh, the Holy Spirit was moving in Acts chapter 2. We see 3,000 people saved. Who wants to see the Holy Spirit move? Yeah, okay, we all do. We're all praying for the Holy Spirit to move. This is the image of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit was moving in their city. So Acts 2 is going to come up on our screen as well. And this is what it says. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved. How crazy is that? It's not, there's different groups in that. They all met together. They all came together. Like I look across this room, have a look around in the service right now. Look around at the many different faces you see, the young, the old. We're a very wide group of people. And this is what it's meant to be. But we're meant to be together. We're meant to be unified. We're meant to meet together and have all things in common. Challenge, when the Holy Spirit was moving, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their own homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is so challenging because cheap Christianity is just come to church on Sunday, maybe stick around if you're at that next level, like stick around and then go home and forget about everything just happened and I'll be back next Sunday. Real Christianity, come to church, give everything you've got so someone else can go with. Bring everything. Here's my challenging thought here. Church exists firstly for God to be glorified. So most importantly, we want to worship God when we come to church. And then it's for you and me to find community, worship together and get our needs met. That's a bit challenging there. But church only exists because of God's glory. And only because you and me coming together and creating community, worshipping together no matter our season we're in, and meeting other people's needs. Church is for God to be glorified and for you to find worship, find community, have your needs met, but it only exists when you come to glorify God. It only exists when you come to build community. It only exists when you come. Now, that's not cheap Christianity. I've been even thinking, like, God gave me this revelation that no one wants to do anything religiously. Like, I think the church has battled religious thoughts for a, lo- like a, a while. And, like, you don't want to come to church religiously. I think if everyone closed their eyes and I said, who doesn't want to come to church religiously, everyone would put their hands up. But here is how to tell if you come to church religiously. Ready? If you just turn up, you're turning up religiously. You know how to tell if you're coming to church for God, not religiously, if you come prepared to give something. You know, you can turn up to your volunteer roster religiously. If you just turn up not coming prepared. Every Sunday, me and Jay take a moment, whether it's in the car, whether it's while we're having breakfast, to pray, God, let us come prepared to help someone else have an encounter with you. That's when church goes from being a religious thing that I have to do every Sunday. That's when your, this church family goes from just something that you see on a Sunday to being meaningful midweek. And that's my thought around this thing is that this is my family and I want this to be the best family on earth. And this family, if you look at church history, was the most powerful thing that has ever happened to the world's history. If people were giving up their lives to be a part of this, 
Like, do people look at our church right now and go like, oh, yeah, I'm going to say yes to coming to Celebration Church, even if it means dying? <laughs> That's a pretty challenging thought. But that is how powerful this family can be. That is how powerful that when our needs need to be met, it's you and me that does it. God works through us. God allows us to do these things. But this is my family, and I want to come so prepared every Sunday to help you guys have an encounter with God. But I hope, and if this is the church that God wants it to be, you will come prepared to help me have the best God encounter. That our volunteers come every week ready to sow into someone having a moment with God, maybe a new person having a meal and finding some connection. Our worship team comes every week ready to worship God and no matter what season you're in, you can have that moment with God. But do you come ready for that? It's a challenging thought and I can tell you what, cheap Christianity doesn't last when time gets tough. Times get tough. And here's some practical ways to make this work, to make this family not just a kid's table, not just a youth table. Like Jade said before, that if you're older in this room, make sure you go up to our young people. Make sure you go up to our youth. You don't have to be the old scary grandpa or grandma in the room. Like, you can be the cool grandparent. Young people, don't be scared to go up and ask questions of our older people in the room. Get wisdom, get understanding, learn from their mistakes. Here's some tips. Number one is be generous because it opens up people's hearts. Older people, you probably have a lot more money or maybe a lot less money if you're really in a lot of debt, but you've got probably a lot more money to make those opportunities of generosity in our church. Buy a young person a burger. I can tell you what, you'll get more out of them in that five minutes of in that line, like you're taking them up. So Yeah, be generous. It will open up their hearts. Step two is ask questions. While you're in the line, taking them up to get something from the cafe, ask questions about them. What do you want to do with your life? What have you seen in your life? You can ask questions because it makes it not about you anymore. If we want to be a church about other people, let's ask questions from other people. And finally, you can be convicted about these two things and do it now, but can we do it next week? Repeat it again. Every Sunday, I'm coming every week trying to encounter, like help as many people have an opportunity with God. Can we do that week in, week out? And the week that you need that moment with God, the week that you need someone else to help you, will be the week that someone else has been taught to do that for you. And that's what the church is all about. So let me just pray to close out and thank you so much for listening. God, I just thank you for today and I just thank you for that message about this is our family and we want to be the best family, the best example of you, Jesus, on the face of the earth. And I just pray as the rest of the day goes on that we just become your church, a church that is known for how we love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. And now I'm going to welcome up Mama Kathy to bring us around part two. Thank you, Ben. <clears throat> um, a bit like you, I just felt it's such a privilege to be asked to share this morning. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for this privilege. And Lord, you know, if there be any good in me, I give you all the glory. It's because of what you've done in my life that I am who I am. I don't take any credit for myself. I give you all the glory. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
So I was praying about what to share and I just really felt there's a lot of people here that don't know my testimony and I would love to share my testimony about because it shows God's faithfulness. It shows that his word is true. We can rely on his word. We can stand on the word of God. So I just want to start off by saying I'm very blessed to be brought up in a Christian home. My mum and dad brought us up in the church, which was really a blessing. My dear mother, I just give her a lot of praise for who I am because she just showed she just showed God's love. It just sort of streamed out of her in everything she said and she did. And she used to go around the house singing praises to God. Her favourite song was, Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Oh, thank you, precious mum. Bless your heart. And then dad, his favourite song was, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for the wonderful example they were. And I know they're up in heaven now singing praises with the angels around your throne. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I know they're happy and safe and well in your presence. Thank you, Lord. And um, as a family, we went to the Billy Graham Crusade and we all went forward as a family and made a decision for Jesus. And it was uh, such a powerful time in my life. I remember when I got home, I used to go out the backyard, stand on a box and I'd preach and I'd say, you need Jesus, turn back to Jesus, he loves you, he's got a special plan for your life. And um, yeah, I was always fired up to share Jesus. And when I um, got a bit older, I became a, a Sunday school teacher and then I was a youth leader. And then um, <clears throat> in my young adult life, I did a lot of traveling on my own and I couldn't wait to share Jesus. I used to go travel on my own because it made me talk to other people. And I had a handbag full of these little handouts on how to become a Christian or, you know, what's, what's life all about, you know. And, oh, I just found it such a privilege to share Jesus. And when I went out with boys, I used to find that a privilege because I'd preach to them all the time, all the time. And, the, <laughs> and even a couple of years after, um, when I broke off with one of these guys, he rang me up and he said, I just want to thank you for sharing Jesus with me. And I wanted to ring you to let you know I go to church now regularly. And I said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And he said, you sow, sowed the seed. So never, never underestimate who you're speaking to or who you can just encourage because the seed is sown. Jesus is the one who waters it. The Holy Spirit is the one who just convicts people. 
So all we have to do is sow the seed. And I just praise God for the opportunities that I had. Anyway, I'll try not to be too long. <laughs> um, I didn't get married till I was 29. I married Brian Martin, who was the first real estate agent in Berry. If anyone has know him, um, I'm sure a few people have heard about him. He had his the first real estate agency in um, Berry. We were married for exactly two and a half years and he got really sick and we found out after all these tests were taken that he had mesothelioma which is asbestos related cancer on his lungs and when he was um, diagnosed in the January of 1983 and he passed away in the May of 1983. Oh, that really did test my faith. I always knew God was a faithful God, and I, but I was angry because we had a lovely church family that was praying for his healing, and we were told there's no hope for that type of cancer, but we thought with God, everything is possible. Lord, we just know that you can do the impossible. But he passed away and I was angry with God. And before he passed away, he made me promise I wouldn't sell the farm for a year because we'd bought the farm up in Strong's Road. Anyway, um, I was walking backwards and forwards. And I was saying, God, this is not Romans 8.28. You promised you'd work all things together for my good because I love you. You know I love you. You know I witness for you. God, what's going on? Oh, and my heart was breaking. I just cried so much. And being on the farm on my own was really heartbreaking because I just missed him so much. And I was praying one day and I said, God, I really need to get away. I need to go somewhere that would not remind me of him. And um, very clearly, I heard God say, go trekking in the Himalayas. Because that's something he always wanted to do. And every time he suggested it, I said, oh, it sounds too much like hard work. <laughs> When I go on holidays, I want luxury. I want to relax, you know. So I rang the, uh, I rang the estate agent, um, uh, travel agent up and I said, I want to go trekking in the Himalayas. And she said, oh, it's winter there now. There's no treks. And she said, I'll book you on the first one back in the spring. I said, good. So we had the same size feet so I wore his boots and I said to myself, Brian, I'm doing this for you. I'm going trekking in the Himalayas. This is what you always wanted to do and I'm doing this for you. And on the, in the group that was going, there was a married couple from Melbourne. There was myself and another single girl from Sydney. And there was these two guys from Tom Price, the mine ore, iron ore mine in Western Australia. And um, one of the guys was Alan. <laughs> and golly, was he a roughie. Alan had sideburns that came down and met up with his moustache. 
He was so rough and he had a foul mouth. I hate, I've always hated swearing. And he used to swear and everything. I thought, oh, gee, thank, fancy being stuck with this guy for eight, eight days. Eight days was our trek. Eight days. So um, we, we had eight days walking in this beautiful, oh, it was just the most amazing experience. Has anyone been to the Himalayas? Trekking? No. Oh, you have? Yeah. No, it's just the most spiritual, rewarding place. And I just loved it. And I was so happy to be able to be doing that for, for Brian. Anyway, when, when we were walking, Alan tended to sort of gravitate towards me. And he was always complaining about working at Tom Price. He said, oh, I've been there seven years now and, oh, I just don't like it. I said, well, for goodness sake, why do you stay there for? And he said, oh, the money's good. The money's good. I can go on holidays like this. And he was there for six weeks trekking in the Himalayas. I was, eight days was enough for me. <laughs> anyway... He kept coming to me and complaining about it, and I got sick of him. I said, for goodness sake, I said, you're alive and well and healthy. I said, stop complaining. But he did keep complaining. I thought, <laughs> I thought, I know how I'm going to get rid of this guy. And I said to him when we were walking along and he was complaining, I said, Alan, you need two things in your life, two things you need in your life. I can see it, it's so important. And he said, oh, what was that? I said, the first thing is God. You need God in your life. You need God in your life. I said, and then you need a good woman. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, after eight days, um, we exchanged names and address dresses. And um, I came home and he kept trekking in the Himalayas and he used to write me these lovely letters and I thought gee beyond that rough exterior there's a really good heart I could tell because he was explaining all these beautiful scenes that he was looking at and everything anyway then about three months after the couple from Melbourne said we'll have a reunion of the eight people bring all your photos and we'll see all our photos and have a nice time in Melbourne. So by this time, Alan and I were being in touch by phone and I said to him, do you want to fly over to the east coast of Australia? Have you ever been? He said, no, I've never been. I said, well, look, you fly over, I'll pick you up from the airport and we can travel to Melbourne together. And he said, oh, that sounds good. So that's what, he, that's what happened and that's what we did. And it was, um, that's when things sort of started happening. <laughs> anyway, when we got back to the farm, I said to him, look, I said, you keep complaining about working in Tom Price. I said, would you like to come and work for me? Because I was left quite financially okay. I said, I can pay you a good wage. Um, we had the dairy renovated which my sister and her family used to stay in. I said, we've got accommodation here. I said, I can pay you a good wage. And he said, oh, I'd love to come over. I've always wanted to work on a farm. I said, well, you come over, leave Tom Price and come over. So he did. 
And we used to go to church together. We went to New Covenant Church. Ron and Debbie Hannaford were there at the time. And uh, we went to church together. <clears throat> and uh, he said, look, my mum and dad have always wanted to come to Australia. Can they come and visit us here? And I said, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we've got, I've got plenty of room in the house. So uh, they came over for holiday. I think they stayed about six weeks. And then um, when they left, his mother kept saying, oh, Alan, when are you coming home? Come back to England, come home. And, he sa and I said, yep, he's under no obligation to stay here. I said, he can go when he wants to. And um, he said, Mum, Australia's my home. I'll never come back to England to live. I'll come back for holidays, but I'll never come back to live. So they left, and then when they left, I thought, golly, how could I manage without him? Because he'd been there for about oh, six months, and to put up with somebody who's lost someone they love is, must be the hardest thing to do. But he seemed to have known when I wanted him around for company, and he knew when I wanted my space, and he was a terrific worker on the farm, so I thought, golly, how can I do, how can I manage without him? And then all of a sudden we had these serious conversations and we decided to get married. So we got, <laughs> we got, we got engaged in April and married in June. And then when we rang and told his parents, they said, oh, why didn't you tell us? We would have stayed. And I said, look, I'm sorry, we didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know. So we were married um, for exactly a year. And then Angela came along. Oh, praise the Lord. And I said, oh, Lord, you do work all things together for good because you know I love you. And Angela came along then two and a half years later was Charlotte. Oh, and it was just the joy of joy. And Alan was such a wonderful father. So I just praise God for how he works things out for the, our best. So if sometimes you're walking through life and you think, oh, this is not how it should be, hang in there. Stand on the word of God because it is true. He does work all things together for good. Not just some things, all things together for good when we love him. So I just thank you. Lord Jesus, for what you've done in our lives. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this privilege it is to speak in our wonderful church family. I thank you for our church family. I thank you for the churches who have been so supportive of me through my life. And I just praise and thank you for your goodness to us. And thank you, Jesus. Now, I'd like to invite Narelle. Thank you, Narelle. Thank you. Oh, wow. How do I follow Ben and Kathy? hey? Thank you so much. And isn't it great that church is so diverse and that we all belong and we're at the table, we've got things in common, and the testimony of how God does work all things to, for good, how wonderful. 
Well, I'm going to take different track. As um, I was introduced, I, I am a lecturer um, in kind of Old Testament studies, so let's hit the Bible and look, I've got 10 minutes, I think, so let's keep hit it and we're going to run because we've got to go through a lot, right? So hopefully just stretch, let's go, okay? <laughs> so the word for church, uh, if we go to the, the next slide, you've got to keep with me, Troy. I think it is, <laughs> um, is ecclesia is kind of how we probably say it in Australian. Sorry for the Greek speakers, but it's this idea of being called out. It's this idea of an assembly. So you would leave your private home to assemble is kind of the language. And it kind of comes back from, from Greek. Um, but in Greece, in Athens, what would happen is people would be pulled out from their homes to gather in a public place. And in that public place, that's where they would create the rules and the culture of the place. They would appoint magistrates and officials. And that's kind of where we get our idea of democracy from today. The males would vote and you'd have to have a majority vote for things to occur. So this is this idea of the ecclesia, the foundations of this word. But how we've kind of taken it and used it in, this, in the Bible, and even you can trace it back to the Old Testament, is this idea of assembly. So today, what are we doing? We are ecclesying, if you like. We are gathering. We are called out from our homes and gathering here together, aren't we? But what we take as well is this idea that we are the called out ones. But who's the one that's calling us out? That's the important thing, isn't it? That God is the one that has called us here to assemble. So all the action, all the initiative, it goes back to God, right? He's called us here. This is why we are in common, or because he is the one that has called us out. So let's go back to Genesis. And you know Genesis, the creation story. We know that this was the perfect community right back in the Garden of Eden. So I'm taking the second creation story. And so in chapter 2, we know that the Adam or the Adam was taken from the Adama. Can you hear the language there? The earthling was taken from the earth in the literal kind of Hebrew language. So see the connection of man taken from the dirt. There's a connection there. Um, hopefully this will not go over your heads. You'll have to quiz me later if I'm going too fast. But we got this connection of us to the land. So hear that connection. And you know when we do funerals or whatever that to dust we will return. So that's kind of pulling that idea out there. And then in chapter, oh, verse two, chapter 2, verse 15, it says that the Lord God took the Adam, and so the man, and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it or to serve it and to keep it, to care and tend or to guard it. So these two verbs become really important, but this is the vocation of this man in the garden, is to serve the garden and to keep the garden. And later on, we'll see this is what the priests are called to do. They're called to serve in the temple and to keep the temple. And we'll see this, you can kind of keep, kind of trace it right through the Bible as well. But this is, if you think about, this is our vocation. We are called to serve and to keep. We know then, obviously, that the woman came from the side of the man. So you're hearing all these interrelations, don't you? And then God brought the woman back to the man. And then you know that the man when they kind of there's a narrative there that says that the man will now leave his mother and father to return to the wife can you see this just circular perfection mutual submission kind of community going on here us to the land us to each other we're meant to be in perfect community and then who is walking in the cool of the day who is calling his people he's calling to adam and eve we know this kind of in the consequence section or the curses section but he's calling out where are you adam where are you eve and but we would imagine, we know this was a pattern, so he is calling them out 
from their work to assemble, right? To be with him. But what happens when the consequences happen, when the curses happen? Does this motive or this um, kind of instruction to serve and keep still happen? So when you read Genesis 2, you've got to read Genesis 2, 3 and 4 as a unit. Don't stop at Genesis 2. Keep reading it together, all right? And so if we go to the next slide, Troy. So this question then, we've had the fall, we've had the consequences. So are we still meant to serve and to keep? That's the question that they're asking each other. And so we know that Cain and Abel have been born, and always in this passage we hear that Abel is the brother of Cain. It happens seven times. So there's this emphasis again on brotherly community here, right? We know that in the passage it's introduced in chapter 4, verse 2, that Abel was a shepherd of the sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So if you were an ancient reader or a listener, sorry, you would hear that, okay, Cain was a tiller. Cain was a server of the ground. Okay, that goes back to that command in chapter 2, verse 15. So you would expect that Cain would be a keeper, a keeper of the sheep, but the narrative doesn't use that word there. So you'd be kind of thinking, okay, something's going on here. There's a bit iffy. What's going on? We've got Cain as the tiller, the server. Are you with me? But... Um, uh, which one? Abel is the tiller, sorry, the server of the land, and Cain is the shepherd, but you would have thought he was the keeper. Then we know the plot goes on, don't we, and they bring sacrifices to God, and Cain's is rejected, he gets all angry, murders his brother Abel, pre-kind of meditated murder, breaks again that relationship, that brotherly relationship that we have seen in the creation account. And then what does God do? In the next slide, in verse 9, it says, where is your brother? God calls out to uh, Cain. What's he reply? I don't know. You know, I don't know. But obviously, he's the one that left him dead back in the field. And then his question here is, am I my brother's keeper? There's that word keep, right? Yes. So the the narrative doesn't say, but really you should be screaming, yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, we are each other's brother's keepers is kind of what it's trying to say. Even post the fall, even though relationships have been broken, this idea that we are to serve and to keep the ground and kind of that vocation, but then you pull it out into the community idea, we are here to look after one another. We are here to serve and to keep one another. And the consequences, just to kind of close it off, Cain is actually rejected from the land. So you kind of see he then becomes a wanderer. And so that relationship is broken again because of he, he actually broke the brotherly relationship. All right. Let's keep jumping, all right? So that's creation. What have I got? A few more minutes. So um, let's, we know, again, that we are grafted into Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, these become our foundation stones, right? These guys become our foundation stones. And I love that song that we sang today, you know, my God of Jacob, and, you know, he's the rock of ages. There's so so much power in that. But this is our history, right? These are our fathers and mothers of the faith, and we are linked to them. But there's really interesting with Jacob is this motive of stones. And this will make sense. I'm just trying to lay some groundwork here and then this will make sense. But in the Jacob narrative, over and over again, this idea of stones just pops up. So we see, remember when he was fleeing um, from his brother 
and he goes and he lies down. It becomes Bethel, but he actually lies down on, on a stone and it becomes his pillar, uh, pillow. Sorry, Then it becomes a pillar. <laughs> so, um, so we see that in Genesis 28. That same stone, he then realises, because he saw the ladder going up to heaven, he had an encounter with God and the angels going up and down and a vision of God. Um, and so that stone that he laid on then becomes a memorial. He pours out oil on it. Then again, fleeing from his brother, um, he comes, well, in the same sort of narrative, sorry, he comes to a well, and the well has a large stone on it. And all the shepherds are like, oh, who's going to take the stone off? We're all here. We can't get the water. da 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 Then the ladies come, right? Then we see that Jacob sees uh, Rachel, and then suddenly, uh uh-uh-uh, I'm more manly. I can get this stone off, and he gets it off by himself. He doesn't use all the other guys to help him. I'm like, so again, just this idea of stones coming through. Um, Covenant between Laban and Jacob, and so as Jacob flees, again, there's a memorial of stones uh, put there in Genesis 31. And then again, when he returns to Bethel, This is where God reiterates all the covenant promises that I'm with you. What I said to Abraham, what I said to Isaac, what I said to Jacob, it's going to come to pass. You are going to be a father of nations. I'm going to be your God. You are going to be my people. And again, we see that Jacob sets up a stone pillar. Now, why am I emphasising this? I'm emphasising this because Jesus is going to say, on this rock, I will build my church. And I think there's all these allusions and connections from the Old Testament through to today that are just really helpful to know that we are grafted into this family. This motley crew, if you read this thing, you're like, do I really want them for my uncle and my brother? But actually they are because do you want me for your auntie? I don't know. You know, we are all questionable, aren't we? But this is where we are grafted into. So let's turn to where Jesus uses this word, ecclesia, where Jesus uses this word for church, right? And that is in Matthew 16. Are you with me? Like, it's a lot of content, I know, but hopefully some of you are just absorbing it all. All right, so in Matthew 16, at this point in time, Jesus has been in ministry for about three years, right? And he comes up to this place called Caesarea Philippi. Has anyone been to Israel? Anyone been here? Have you been there, Libby? You go, well, it's John and, yeah. So this is at the top of Israel, kind of just under Mount Hermon. It's a place where um, there were natural springs, so there's a lot of water that comes here. And um, you can see in the pictures, this is some, well, down the bottom is like a modern-day picture um, back to where there was a cave of Pan, And uh, so it became a real religious worship site for multiple religions. So there was the kind of god of Pan, which is like a goat god, if you're thinking of of like the image of it. Um, And then a lot of Greek gods as well. So Zeus was worshipped here. Pan's father was known as Hermes, was worshipped here. Um, uh, And Artemis, Anethia. So it just became a place of really uh, idolatry, um, and then it got worse. So sacrifices, um, the idea was that you could either throw a goat into this um, cave and the well, and if the, the god accepted your goat, it would be sucked under. If it didn't, obviously the goat would pop to the top, float down, you'd have to go through it all again, but it would get worse than that. It would be maybe you would throw your child in or there would be um, sexual kind of religious rites and all of that as well. So this is a place which you're like, Jesus, you're going up here. You purposely have come to this region and this is in his day. So you can see kind of the images 
um, there of the temples and the and there were various competing religions. It's just not the one, but there were competing religions there. But this is where Jesus comes to, brings his disciples with him, and he says this to his disciples in this area, right? Who do you? Uh, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And I wonder if that's the question for us today, right? In the midst of our clashing society and cultures and things that are bombarded at us, what are you going to say today about who is Jesus? Are you going to say it's just John the Baptist or another miracle worker or a good philosopher or are you going to say that he is the Messiah? What, what are we going to say? So if we go over to the next slide, we're going to see that Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Isn't that really significant? Hey, we've got all these dead gods here, right? These unalive gods. And then we've got you are the Messiah. So we're seeing here this revelation that you are the saviour, you are the Christ, you are the one that can deliver us, you are the one that we have been waiting for all the time since really Jacob, right? We have been waiting for you, but you are the Messiah. So in the clash of all of this and, the, and the, you know, whatever is going on on that day, you are the Christ. And Jesus replied, and we know this profound passage, right? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, or, you know, that name, Petros, so Peter, Petros. And on this rock, Petra is kind of the Greek, so you can hear the echoes there, I will build my church, that word there, ecclesia, And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered the disciples uh, not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So we're seeing this idea, isn't it, on this Petrus, on this rock, on this stones, if you know your your Torah, really, your Old Testament, I'm going to build my church. But it's more than that. It's on this revelation, isn't it? So you can see Jacob, every time he had a revelation of God, but it's on the revelation that you are the Messiah, that's where he's going to build the church. He's not going to build the church on a fancy building or a cathedral or, you know, a good sermon. He's going to build it on that we have had a revelation of who he is, right? And the gates of Hades, that was also what was known as the, the where you would throw the goats into the water. That cave, that was, also, that was literally known as the gate of Hades. So that place, this chaos, these, these temples and worship, anything that the enemy would throw at him, nothing will overcome it. And then this is when he now starts to talk about his death and that he's going to have to die and rise again. He hadn't really talked about it before that. So he's also saying, I will overcome this because my death will overcome all of this and the gates of hell or the Hades will, will not overcome the church, right? So it's on this rock, okay? And then when we jump into Peter, I'm nearly through all the scripture, right? 
But when we jump into Peter, you can see, well, Peter had a revelation of the rock, but he, he talks about this and refers back to it because we have come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one, and, the one who puts the, uh, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So how cool is that, that we together are living stones, right? Built because of Jesus being the living stone, the cornerstone. We are being built together. So imagine that little wall if you went here, right? There'd be a hole that would crumble. I need you. I need you to support me on the side and above and below, right? I need you guys there. And that's why when I've highlighted the use here, our English translations don't help us here because we kind of read that as you, as you, just singular, right? But it's actually plural. So try and read that with your, your American drawl, y'all, or yous, um, we's, us's, whatever you want to say. So can I read it again for you? If I just read this other bit. So we are a chosen people, or y'all are a chosen people, right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may um, declare the praises of God who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So you're not meant to do this alone, right? We're, we're so individualistic in our thinking, but we are the people of God. We are together. And I know as Kathy and Ben have alluded to, that's why we're given spiritual gifts, right? Some of you are healers. Some of you are evangelists. Some of you are preachers and um, teachers and pastors. And I need you. I need you to heal me when I need healing. I need you to show me mercy when I need mercy. We need one another. And the church, right, should be the answer. Yeah. yeah. Look, I'm, <laughs> I'm gone over time, but let me just um, flip to the last slide. And I love this in Ephesians, and this is in the message translation. Um, and it says here, but all this energy, uh, issues from Christ, sorry, I can't read it on my paper because it's too dark. Um, God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. And he is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. And at the centre of all of this, Christ rules the church. And that's what we believe, right? The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. This calling out, this thing that we do on Sundays and this thing that we live for, it's not peripheral, right? This is, this is it, right? Um, the world is actually peripheral to the church. We need to understand that, right? And the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. So we need to know that, don't we? This our whole idea that we are central, we are important because Christ is the head. He rules in deep heaven. He has been raised to, death, uh, to life again, sorry. And we are part of this. We are his church, we are his bride, we are his family and he loves us. 
So I think the question is, will we respond then to his call to assemble? Okay. All right. Well, I'll pass over to Pastor Joel to uh, finish up. Thank you. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.